Hi, good morning, everybody. I want, regardless of where your palm uh, folding things are, let's hold them up. Oh, that one's awesome. <laughs> good, let's see. Yeah, nice. In the back, good. Just a straight one. Nice way to really give, put some effort forth this morning. Um, all right, so we're, uh, I'm going to invite up a good friend, uh, good friends of mine and good friends of this community have been here for the last couple of years, and they're going to give us a little bit of update about what's been going on in their life. So let's invite up Mark and Sharon, and they're going to share with us this morning. Buenos dias. My name is Mark Hilditch. This is my wife, Sharon. Um, we've been part of this community for a couple of years now, and we are um, extremely grateful once or twice a year to have this very special opportunity to thank you for your prayer support and let you know a couple of things that are happening in um, our missionary efforts uh, to work with uh, folks in Mexico. So I'm going to let uh, Sharon start with a couple of comments. Hi, I'm Sharon. And um, let's see, we, we were able to partially retire and are going back and forth to Mexico about every six to eight weeks. We go back and forth, and so we're leveraging resources here to help people down there, and then we go down and try to find out what else we can help with. And so we've been very blessed to be able to do that. Uh, we'll be leaving again the 1st of May, and then we'll be back uh, in June, no, excuse me, the end of June, and uh, then we won't go back again until October. We're working with a network of um, new churches uh, and church plants throughout northwest Mexico. Um, when I got started with this group 12 years ago, there were 11 churches in the network. And <clears throat> this last uh, three months while we were down there, we um, welcomed in the 86th church. So God has really been um, at work. It's been a wonderful thing to be a part of um, what God's doing throughout um, small uh, rural villages uh, around northwest Mexico. Uh, the, um, the, the man who had the vision uh, for planting all these churches is a dear friend of mine named Ariel Romero, Pastor Ariel Romero. And um, in addition to um, spearheading this uh, effort to plant churches, um, he's also developed leadership training materials, and he's got these 20 enormous um, leadership training guides. Uh, and as the churches continue to grow and new churches are planted, this network is becoming increasingly international. Um, late last year, we planted a church in Haiti, um, and... Uh, we're in the process of planting churches in Nicaragua and El Salvador um, and Costa Rica. And uh, there will also be more and more uh, church plants developed uh, internationally in um, non-Spanish-speaking areas. So one of the big projects that we're working on is translating all of these training manuals uh, into English. Um, and so I'm doing that. There's 20 of them, and I'm just finishing number three. So I have a long way to go. But um, it's going well, and we have a colleague in Mexicali who speaks French, and so she's working on translating them into French as well, and who knows where it will go from there. Um, last month, I had an opportunity to preach to the flagship church for the second time, um, Toto and Espanol, and so that was a, 
That was a very exciting opportunity. Um, the message uh, was called The Evangelistic Importance of Not Being Religious. So that, that, that was well received and it was intriguing, but it was a real honor to challenge the folks um, to, uh, to live their lives in ways that invite people to ask them about the gospel at work in their lives. Uh, let's see. Um, my closest friend in Mexico is actually Ariel's brother, Ruben, who is also a pastor. And um, we worked for months on a plan to actually have Ruben here to preach today. And obviously that didn't work out. But um, we're continuing to work on that, and we're hopeful that he'll be able to be here to share a message with you all um, in late July or late August. Um, and yes, he's fantastically bilingual, so don't worry about that. Um, but he sends his apologies for not being able to be here today. He was, uh, we were all pretty upset when he works for the city government, and at the last minute, his boss said, no, you can't go. And so he was, he was very, very disappointed, as were we. But we're optimistic and hopeful that he'll be here to meet a lot of you and share, uh, share from his heart um, a gospel message in July or August. Um, one of the projects I've been helping with is um, they have a couple of churches here in the United States, down in San Diego, one in Arizona, one in Colorado. And um, we're helping to get the 501c3 status in the United States so that churches in the United States can contribute and get their tax deduction and and just in general kind of meeting the U.S. guidelines. And um, But, you know, churches in general don't have to have the 501c3, but it does help for people that want to contribute because then they've got their proper documents. So... Um, the other thing, um, we're just starting, but uh, we're helping some of the families in the Takati area start planting gardens, and so we've made some you know, garden boxes, and we're just getting started, so hopefully when I get back there, we're going to actually have some plants in our pots. So. <laughs> and that reminds me, some of you might not actually know where Takate is. Um, we live half time there, and it's um, right on the U.S. border, one hour east of San Diego. Um, just to give you a, a context, there about 125,000 people, and uh, it's it's a really wonderful uh, wonderful place. Um, uh, really, no drug problems at all <clears throat> because there's no one on the U.S. side of the border there. So it's a very safe, um, warm, wonderful, welcoming community. And uh, we, we really feel like we have two homes. And when we're here, we're always missing our friends there. And when we're there, we're always missing you and family and all our friends here. Um, one of the other things that we've been able to do is leverage resources, working with um, some churches in the San Francisco Bay Area to build a church building for one of the um, communities in our network which is in San Quintin, which is about two hours south of Ensenada, right on the Pacific Ocean. Um, wonderful community, about the same size as this uh, church here. Um, they were meeting for, uh, for a long time in a building that was um, uh, rented to them by a retired pastor in the community, 
And then um, that fell apart, and he, he was pressured into taking the church back. So the leadership got together and said, well, we need to do something else. The pastoral couple in the community own a piece of property, so they got a tent, like a circus tent, put it up, and were very happily worshiping in that space for a month or so. And one morning, the pastor couple drove up to the place to set things up for Sunday morning like this, and the only thing there was the land. <laughs> they'd stolen the, somebody would stolen the tent. So they've been worshiping in knit hats and ski jackets in the open air for the last several months. And so God's really put this situation on our hearts, and we were able to make connections with um, a very wealthy church in the San Francisco area that has a passion for mission. And just this last month, they agreed to send a team down to build a building for these folks um, in San Quentin. So we're very excited about that. And uh, hopefully one of these days when we have a report for you, we'll be able to include pictures of, of this church building. So keep praying for, the, for our brothers and sisters in San Quentin. Um, we're also able to um, work with a contact that we have at Moody Bible here in Spokane um, who introduced us to some people in western Michigan who run a mission called the Theological Book Network. And by working with them and collaborating with them, we were able to get 106 brand new Bible study and theology books in Spanish um, for the re central resource library in Tecate that provides resources for all of the um, pastors of the 86 churches in the network. So that was a very exciting uh, development this last month. Also involved, associated with that, Pastor Ariel has been invited to teach uh, one class session um, at the end of next month by Skype to the Global Mission class at Moody Bible here in Spokane. So we're very excited about the opportunity that he has to share what mission looks like in the world today from his point of view um, working in Mexico and internationally. So that'll be a very exciting development. We're also working with Ariel and Christian associate colleagues in Los Angeles um, who oversee all of the Latin America um, church planting through uh, Christian associates to um, develop a church plant pastor internship project that involves a Mexican man or woman coming up here to Spokane for a year and working under Russ's, um, Russ's oversight um, and instruction to, de to, to be developed into a church planting pastor um, to work with the Christian Associates um, uh, organization to plant a church um, in, urban, in an urban setting in Mexico, which will be a whole new uh, direction for Christian associates and a whole new direction for the church network in Mexico. So please pray for that opportunity because right now what we're doing is searching for just the right person to come up here and live in Spokane for a year or so and work with Russ to, um, to be trained to be a, a church planting intern. So there's a lot going on and we continue to um, Cherish your prayers and your support. Please keep praying for opportunities, and please keep praying about the possibility that you yourself might become part of a team from Newcom um, and come down and, and let us host you for a week and, and visit and do some mission work um, in the Mexico setting. 
So, as our friends down there say, gracias. Uh, thanks, as always, Mark Sharon. You guys are doing um, really, really cool work. So for those of you who don't know, we did send a team down. Uh, it would have been like a year and a couple months ago in January and had uh, a great experience down there. And we are hopeful that something like that could happen in the future. So uh, I'm going to pass out offering buckets around from up front, which is a little bit different today. But uh, the reason I'm doing that is to highlight the fact that we do not have interns this morning because our interns are in Chicago. There you go. Here you go. Those can just kind of snake towards the back. Uh, so our interns and Russ, uh, who leads our internship here at New Community there in Chicago uh, for their yearly intern trip, and they will be, uh, today is a big day for them. They visit nine churches this morning uh, to get a real um, kind of holistic view of how the city of Chicago worships, uh, and it's uh, a very tiring, but also a really, really powerful day. So uh, be praying for our interns, be praying for Russ uh, they're in Chicago today, and then uh, they come home tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure. Allison, when do they get on the flight tomorrow? Get in, get in late tomorrow night. So be praying for interns as they're uh, traveling back, and then we'll have them back uh, next week. And they'll probably, maybe not share next week, but maybe the following week and give us uh, an update about that trip. So, uh, all right. Today is Palm Sunday. You probably knew that because you folded some palms earlier. It's a big Sunday, uh, and it really is the Sunday that kind of begins to lead us into Easter. We're towards the end of our Lenten season, and uh, today is that day that the Passion Week starts. So what I actually want you to do right now is if you have a Bible or you have the Bible app on your phone, let's get that out real quick. If you do not have one, just fake like you have one and just kind of scroll through your phone a little bit and people will think that you have one. Uh, and then look over your neighbor's shoulders and read what they have. And uh, I'm going to give you about three minutes right now. And I want you to read, uh, reread the scripture that was read aloud to us this morning. But it's Luke 19, 28 through 44. Luke 19, 28 through 44. So I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to read that out. Uh, just read that quietly to yourself. Make sure the person next to you has, uh, has something to read as well. Looks like most of you are done. So uh, we read it aloud this morning. I wanted you to read it again because I think it's important to have a, a pretty good understanding of this story of what's happening. Because this story, again, leads us into this Easter week, leads us into the last week of Jesus's life, and I would contend that this story really begins uh, to set the stage to realize and to come to full understanding of who Jesus really is, and we begin to see this picture starting today, and we see it throughout the gospel narratives, but really this day kind of marks where we begin to see the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, and I found this story online, and I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a really interesting story that kind of illustrates this point of who Jesus is. So let me read this story to you, and really it's, uh, it's a re-rendering or a retelling uh, of the story that we just read, uh, but it's quite a bit different. For days, Jesus and his disciples met secretly outside Jerusalem. They plan where their weapons will be stored, where their horses will be waiting, where various militia will assemble and wait until they receive the word to strike. 
They also recognize or organize crowds to hit the streets at just the right moment to create intimidation, distraction, and fear in the Romans and all those in Jerusalem who collaborate with them. Operation Sacred Vengeance is about to begin. Then on Palm Sunday, Jesus mounts a white horse. He is carrying a huge sword, but it is, all, it is hidden by a palm branch. His disciples are similarly well-armed with swords, daggers, and shields, all camouflaged behind palm branches. They are mounted on war horses, prepared for battle. The word goes out, and the crowd assembles. In each man's right hand is a sword or a dagger raised to the sky, concealed beneath a palm frond or a coat. Each left hand is raised in a fist. Younger men and boys carry concealed torches, ready to light them, march on the city and create mayhem when the battle begins. Hosanna, the people shout. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to execute vengeance on our enemies. Word spreads and people stream out of the city, welcome the freedom fighters. As they cross the brow of the hill near Bethany, and the city comes into view, Jesus gives a rousing speech. He says, It is wrong for the heathen idolaters to have power over the faithful people of God. He shouts, The wrong must end today. We have suffered enough. Now we will make our persecutors suffer. People cheer out and chant, Victory! Victory! Crush the Romans! Kill the collaborators! Who is with me in our holy cause? Jesus asks. The crowd shouts, We are, in a roar that echoes across the valley and into the streets of Jerusalem. Who is willing to fight to the death and avenge the blood of our ancestors? Again, the crowd shouts, We are. And who will shed a gallon of Roman blood for every drop of our blood that is shed? Against the crowd, again the crowd erupts. Then the branches and coats are thrown to the ground and the blades glisten in the sun. The Pharisees hastily interrupt, nervous now that the bold words are brimming over into action. Shouldn't we wait a little while longer until we have more weapons and more troops? Some of our advisors think this battle is premature. Are we trying to be Goliath or are we David? Jesus asks defiantly. Those who live by restraint will die by restraint. Now is the time. Now is the day of annihilation for our enemies. And so the battle for Jerusalem begins. So that story that I just read, how much different is that than the story that we read in the scripture this morning? Quite a bit different, right? The story that I just read sounds like many of the movies that we watch, actually. (laughs) Sounds like a movie that I probably would like. In the real story, Jesus enters Jerusalem ready to suffer and to transform through peace and love, not with vengeance and hungry for violent revolution. Although I sometimes wonder, and the person that wrote this story uh, that I found, I think was wondering the same thing, that, that maybe a Jesus that has that strain of vengeance and that is violent in his revolution would be a Jesus that might be a little bit easier for us to understand. A Jesus that might be a little bit easier for us to relate to. I wonder if the story that I just read would be easier for us to relate to and get behind than the story that we find in Scripture. I wonder that even though we know the truth of the story, the true story, that we're still looking for a king that rides in on a white horse ready for war. 
ready to wage war against a perverse culture, ready to exact revenge on the evil systems in our world, ready to destroy those who disbelieve. I sometimes wonder if maybe that's a Jesus that we could actually relate to more than the Jesus that we read about in Scripture. Now, I know none of us would say that we outright believe that Jesus was ready to wage war, that he was a violent conqueror, that he was an angry revolutionary. But I think you have to ask yourselves, do you sometimes wish that Jesus was those things? I mean, those are the type of characters that we love in movies and books. The brave hearts of the world. The Marcus Aurelius, the American snipers. And if we were really honest... I think we have to say that sometimes it would make us feel better if Jesus was like that. That he would be a hero we could cheer for. Because then it might allow us to live in those ways. But instead, as we just read, we see Jesus coming humbly in peace and in love. Ready to sacrifice. In Mark 8, Jesus asks his disciples, he says, Who Do people say that I am? And his disciples reply with a couple of different answers. They say, John the Baptist or Elijah, or or maybe you're one of the prophets. And he looks right at Peter, and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and says, You are the Christ. And Jesus immediately begins to give context to what that means. And he says that the Son of Man must suffer, that he must be rejected by the elders, by the priests, by the scribes, and that he must be killed, but that he will raise again. And when hearing this, Peter begins to get frantic a little bit. He's had enough. That was not the Christ that Peter wanted. And so he begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, take a stand, stick up for yourself, you're the conqueror. And he begins to rebuke him, and Jesus looks right at Peter And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. And I think too often that our interests in who Jesus is are more in line with man's than they are with God's. That we want Jesus to be the warrior king, when in reality he is the humble servant. I found this quote And I thought it was pretty powerful. It says this, Is it possible that our world still knows better how to deal with a bandit, a murderer, and an insurrectionist than it knows how to deal with the prince of peace? There is a sense in which an assassin's attempt on the Pope's life is less shocking to our world than the Pope's forgiveness of him. Is it possible that we would rather deal with the raw power that rides on a stallion than the one who comes on a donkey with weapons of love, patience, suffering, and peace. Given the choice, isn't it possible that we would take Barabbas too? I think when pressed to give a real and honest answer to the questions of who we want Jesus to be, we might answer that we want a Jesus that completely eliminates our suffering, that we want a Jesus that gives special attention to our needs before the needs of others. A Jesus that's most concerned with our concerns. A Jesus that is unwilling to be bullied. A Jesus that allows us to be on the winning side of every argument and every struggle. A Jesus that protects our individual and national 
interests. But isn't that exactly what Peter in Mark 8 wanted? And I think that's exactly what the Israelites wanted when Jesus rode in on that donkey. They praised him and cried out Hosanna, thinking Jesus was the conquering king that was finally coming to free them from their oppression. They believed he was the king coming to establish his earthly kingdom where they would become the beneficiaries. Yet Jesus came to establish the kingdom in the hearts of men and women through suffering, peace, and love. And this is why he reaps, weeps over Israel, because they did not understand. They did not know what they needed. They would praise him on Sunday, thinking he was the conquering king, and then allow him to die on Friday as the humble Messiah. They wanted an insurrectionist, not a suffering servant. I contend Jesus was the king they didn't even know that they needed. And I sometimes wonder if he is the king that we don't know that we need. I'm reminded in this time often as Easter comes, as we sit here on Palm Sunday, that in a lot of ways this is where the fullness of Jesus begins to come into view. That we have all of these puzzle pieces throughout the Gospels of who Jesus is and how he will be and what he is like. But in Palm Sunday and as we move towards the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday, that all of those puzzle pieces begin to come together. That the full view of who this king is comes together for us. Palm Sunday reminds us who we are really dealing with. A humble king. A king willing to suffer rather than conquer. A king that serves rather than demands king that is willing to die before he is willing to kill. A king that obediently submits before he tries to control. We are dealing with a far different king than any other king that we have ever seen. It is the king that we didn't even know that we needed. This morning as we enter back into worship and through song, as we approach Easter Next Sunday, let us remember who Jesus really is, not who we want Jesus to be. We will take communion this morning in a moment. And I challenge you to take communion in a way that you remember the true Jesus, the Jesus we read about in Luke 19, the Jesus that comes not in power, but the one that comes in humility, remembering that he is a king who rides in on a donkey, who weeps over the people that did not even know who he was, and willingly accepts death as a means of saving humanity. That is the king that we worship this morning. Would you pray with me?